0: This is the story of my descent into Northern California's dark underbelly, and how a little boy grew to maneuver, manipulate, and eventually escape from far beyond those borders. My name is Jason Farias, and this is my Madness Method. (music) Welcome to episode one. Uh, My life's been interesting, to say the least. Um, Imagine Breaking Bad meets Forrest Gump, all wrapped up in an SNL skit, presented live and in person, like it's all happening in an episode of Law & Order. It's a strange, scary, sometimes ridiculously humorous series of events I can't begin to accurately explain how many times I've told these stories or been told to write a book, or, but I also know that these stories have been ravaged a bit by time, um, but they live rent-free in my head, and, and it's time to share them. It's time to put them out in the universe. It's time to tell it and walk away. Uh, it's time to share with everyone that things can go horribly wrong and still end up beautiful. Beautiful. Look, I was a quiet, loving, smart little boy. I didn't grow up in a bad place. I wasn't forced to wonder where meals were coming from. I didn't live in fear of my surroundings. I did, however, never feel as though I was actually wanted. As, And unfortunately, regardless of what is or is not true about that sentiment, it was my perception, and perception is reality. That perception went unchecked for, well, all the years, up until very recently, and even still consumes me now at times. As a little boy, five, six years old, I I had love in my life. I had loving family members. There was no father, and I think that's going to play out and be quite obvious as this goes on, but I was passed around a bit. Uh, between family member to family member, and I was not built for that. It led me to create my own realities. You know, why wasn't I kept in this place? Why didn't this person want me? And eventually, I wound up creating different realities for myself to manage this. You know, in, in one scenario, I'm with my mother, and in another, I'm with my grandmother. And I grew very attached to my uncle, who was very young at that time. And as he grew older and his life began, he went off and lived his life, as he rightfully should. But then it was another person that left me. And then there was always the wonder of, where's my dad? I see the neighbor's kids, my friends next door and across the street, their dads are all around. And and I wanted that. I wanted that attachment. You know, why did nobody want Jason? It wasn't that I was a military brat of any sort, but a a lot of moving happened. Uh, I was forced to be a chameleon. I, I went to a different school almost every year of my scholastic career through elementary, middle, and high school. So every year, I was reinventing myself. I was creating a new version to hurry up and make friends because inevitably a move was coming of some sort and this got tiring i lost who i was you know there's days now i don't even know if i know who i am that's part of this process telling these stories and and sharing it with people and you know hopefully encouraging folks to, to dig deeper and we're never going to know who we are if we don't understand the steps that led us to where we are today and that's what this process is I had a very gentle upbringing. I'm far from being from the hood. I was a rule follower. That's going to come up a lot, mostly in negative connotations, but it's there. But to be honest, I wasn't exposed to much negativity. So the outcomes are, are very interesting. This entire story is about looking for belonging, looking for attachment, looking to belong. I wasn't too much of a partier. I didn't even see what marijuana weed looked like until I was 16, 17 years old. Uh, I tell you, that's probably a door that should have stayed shut. I'm not even sure that I liked it. I just know that it was what the people were doing that I had now, again, latched myself onto in order to be part of something. I mean, let's be honest. Who doesn't like to get high, right? I mean, I know that's a general statement, but it's kind of the going trend now. I got my first apartment when I was about 18, 19 years old. It was 1995. I was working at Walmart at night, stocking shelves. I lived with my buddy, Bub, great guy. You know, he was more about getting his money right. He worked great jobs. He was very focused. He was more about preparing for the rest of life, whereas I was more of preparing for right now. I needed the attention now. I wasn't worried about tomorrow. I was worried about today and what people thought of me today. And I wound up syncing up with this cat named Steve at Walmart. And he was the kind of trouble that I could manage. Because what I learned about myself is that I was really good with people. I was really good with reading people. I could manipulate a situation to be more aligned with what it was I was looking for at that time. What I learned was that I was tired of me being the chameleon and changing myself, but what I learned is that people are easily influenced, and I just apparently had that personality. So here's Steve, comes along, and we're working together, having a great time, hanging out, getting stoned at work. I'm making sure that he doesn't sleep too long behind the dog food or keeping watch out as he's hooking up with some clerk back in the layaway aisles. You know, we were friends, normal stuff, but he and I started hanging out more. He'd come to the apartment, you know, Bub was of course, always for the party, but you know, to an extent, our apartment was the place to be. Uh, my ego at this point was growing and growing. I mean, come on. I was young. I had my own car. I had my own apartment. You know, there was always alcohol available. We were always getting high. My ego had grown a bit unchecked. Perfect example, little side story. Doesn't paint me in a very nice light, but it happened. We were having a party one night and Bub had not gotten home from work yet. You know, there was the normal 10, 15, too many people in an apartment. And we were having a good time and there was a knock at the door and I opened it up and there was what I could best describe as one and a third person visible in my doorway. Not, not the common attendees to my parties, a couple of girls, very nice, very polite, but, um, definitely didn't fit the mold for who we were letting into the party and they said hi is is bub here and i said nope and i shut the door and i went back to the party and i would say three hours later bub gets home and he's like hey there were some people coming by for me did did they stop by and i was like nah man well, then he winds up making some phone calls and finding out that, yes, not only had they shown up, but I actually slammed the door in their face. I said, you invited them? That's very peculiar. You know, Bob had a type, and this was not them. And he had made mention, you know, here we are in the Central Valley in California, and these individuals had driven out from the South Bay Area. So they drove an hour and a half or so to get here. And he said, there was three people. I said, no, 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 there was only two. And there was only one and a third that I could see. And he said, you fool, there was another person behind them. And I said, well, that makes this story worse. (laughs) So ultimately they wound up coming back. And what I had learned was that Bob had met this girl, the third one that I could not see beyond the Tweedle sisters. And uh, they met at a concert. And he invited them out and he forgot to tell me and they drove out for the party and then sat for three hours waiting for him to get home. Because we have to remember this was 95. Not, Not everybody was running around with cell phones at the time. So it wasn't like everybody was easy to contact. But the unfortunate reality was is I was the master of my universe and they weren't fitting the mold of which I was trying to be in control. The partying went on almost every night, it would seem. It it was endless. It was fun. It was a good time. We were young and stupid. And in hindsight, I feel terrible for my neighbors. I mean, music late at night. And and I don't even recall a knock at the door, anybody complaining. So we just kept it moving. However, we did get a call one night. My buddy Chris was over. And he had a cell phone. Chris was always doing all right for himself. You know, he was the buddy with with the money. He was a rancher. He worked on a farm and and they they did all right. He gets a call from our buddy Fat Kid, and Fat Kid says, Hey, I got something. Everybody, you guys, you gotta try this. You gotta come over. So we all get in our cars, we head over to Fat Kid's house, and when we get there, he lets us in and it's a nice house. i never met his parents. I'll be honest. I, I didn't really know him. I mean, we were friends, but we were fairly new acquaintances. But we came in and, and we started drinking. We brought some alcohol and poured some shots. And he's like, hey, you guys, you got to check this out. And he pulls out this mirror and it's got a pile of dust on it. And we're like, man, what, what's going on here? He's like, yo, it's crank. You got to try it. And I had heard of it. I'd never tried it. I knew something was going on with fat kid. I didn't really know what it was. I couldn't put my finger on it, but, you know, went in Rome, right? So, you know, we did some and, you know, everybody took their turn. I was the last one to go. And when I did it, I took a long gaze at the mirror we were on and it was etched into it was a retirement. Thank you from the police department. And what I had learned that day in that moment doing crank for the very first time was that fat kid's dad had just retired from law enforcement. So here I am in an ex, very recently ex-cop's house doing dope off of his retirement mirror. Luckily that he was on vacation as a celebration for his retirement. So the night drags on, we keep doing some of this stuff. And I tell you, when I did this, it was like the faucet got released. All I could think of was, hey, how do we get a ton more of this? Everybody's going to want to do this. Everybody's going to want to buy this. How do we get a bunch more? How great would it be to get somebody else to fund the party? If we just sell this to people, we're going to be fine. So it wasn't that night. We partied our our faces off that night and kept it moving. But the next night is when we get in contact with this dude. We're going to refer to him as this dude because he has since passed, and I don't want to put any disrespect on his name. At least not at this point. But he shows up, and he introduces himself, and we hit it off in the kind of way that you hear about on these murder shows. Dude's system is bumping crazy, ridiculous, nice cut list. He parked right in the middle of my parking lot, which left no room for anybody to get out. It prevented anybody from moving. He parks, comes up into the apartment, and me and this dude vibed immediately. This was going to be both great and terrible for us and everyone around us. He had a bunch of what I was looking for, and I had a pocket full of cash. I think that first night we met, I bought $200 in front of everyone for show. And then on the side, I bought another $800 worth because everyone was spun out, not paying attention. Now, remember, this was the 90s. This kind of coin in a kid's pocket was a sign of something. For me, it meant I had the means to make horrible decisions. It didn't take long for me and this dude to team up. We rolled everywhere together. I mean, we would drive all over the countryside. We were surrounded in the town that we were in by dairy farms and orchards. So we just traveled everywhere getting tanked. We all had nice cars. And since sleeping was off the table at this point, we rolled around town, getting in trouble, playing our music loud, having a good time, singing, being goofy, just getting high. Supposedly enjoying each other's company. And one night I left a little early. I, I was done. I kind of was maybe a little too high, a little too wired up and needed to go for a ride. So I took off by myself. I was rolling back into town. We were out at the river at the time. So I get back into town and I'm driving through the neighborhoods. Now, the, in, in our town, there's two main roads. Okay. There's like a main street and then like a secondary main street. There's about a gap of a mile between them and neighborhoods between. And I took the cut through from one to the other because on the main street was the Walmart and where else do tweakers go in the middle of the night, but Walmart. So as I'm cutting through the neighborhood, I see behind me that there's a, a car with one taillight out and that's unusual you know, for one, for another car to be in the neighborhood at what was likely two in the morning at that time. And by this time, we had also made enough noise in the neighborhood and in the town that, you know, some people sort of felt some type of way about what we were doing, whether it be they didn't like it or perhaps we were even encroaching on something they have may have already had going on. So as I'm rolling through this neighborhood, I noticed that this car with a single headlight out is getting closer to me. So I speed up a little, and it seems that they speed up a little. And then it just kept on like this, and left turns, right turns, and the guy was just staying behind me. So eventually, and I'm almost to the Walmart at this point, but I'm still in this neighborhood. It's dark. We're right next to a park. When I tell you that it's the red and blue lights that light up behind me, I was absolutely blown away. Now, in my head, cops aren't supposed to roll around with one headlight out, so I not for one second assumed it would be a cop. But I'm a rule follower, like I said, so I pull over, and I recognize the cop. He had worked at the school at some times, and I, I also knew some stuff about this guy, uh, Officer Chops, will go with. He pulls me over, he pulls me out of the car, because by the time he finally lit me up, I had to have been doing sixty-five, seventy in a neighborhood. So, he gets me out of the car, I'm handcuffed, he's got me empty in my pockets, and I'm leaning against the car, and he goes to search my vehicle. Now, in my vehicle, my dome light would come loose and come out, and I drove a really nice Thunderbird at the time, but I had to make some changes to its features to best suit the things I was driving around with. So I would pull the dome light out and I would keep some dope up there, put the dome light back in my center console. You pull out the ashtray and I kept weed and crank in there and his lights are shining through my tent. And I see my ashtray come out and change go everywhere. And my heart sunk. I was like, Oh shit, it's over. Here it goes. Just as it's starting said, how am I going to control this situation? Well, he comes back to my car and he says, before I call the dogs, you got anything you want to tell me? And when I tell you that I begged for myself to shut my mouth, I did. And I was like, shut up, dude, shut up, dude, shut up, dude. And I said, but first, would you like to talk about what you've done with those high school girls? And I jumped outside of myself and looked at me like, bro, you're on your own. So at this point, I probably just should have shut my mouth. And uh, I did not. I proceeded to tell him names and things I knew. And equally at the same time, both of our demeanors changed. I saw this as an opportunity to keep talking instead of shut my mouth. Well, He kind of started laying in on me about who do I think I am? Whatever I think I know isn't right. And then I doubled down and I don't know why, but I told him, I said, look, there's a wad of cash sitting on your hood. There's some cash sitting in the back pocket behind the front seat. You know, I mean, if you need it, you go ahead. And he like stepped into me. He said, son, are you bribing an officer? I said, "Oh no, sir. I was just saying if you needed something, you know, I'm I'm here for you." And there was a pause. There was a I don't know what felt like an eternity, but may have just been 2 or 3 seconds, but he walked away from me. He put my ashtray, he threw it back in, fumbled around for a few minutes, walked over to his car, took my handcuffs off. He slid all my shit onto the ground he got into his car and he drove away and I just sat there and I was waiting for like somebody to jump out like I was on some prank show like are you kidding me this just happened I'm sitting here all by myself no lights around the street lights weren't near me I was in a very dark space and this cop just took my money and left and I gathered myself and I gathered my stuff off the floor and I got in my car. The drugs were gone. The crank, the weed were were gone. I don't know. I didn't see it in his hands, but it wasn't there. So it either disappeared or, you know, the guy may have taken it. There's no telling at this point. So I get in my car And I continued to just drive aimlessly. And I thought about, what do I do with this? Nobody is going to believe that this just happened. I'm not believing this just happened. But I kept it to myself for quite some time. And when I say quite some time, you got to figure when somebody's doing a bunch of amphetamines, quite some time can be 15 minutes. But in this particular instance, it had to have been about a week. And the partying continued, the drinking continued, the weed smoking continued, the parties at the apartment, the sniffing lines, the the, the whole vibe. It just throttled down, kept going. It was a great time uh, until one night, you know, we always used to watch out of our apartment balcony down the street to watch the cops all take off for their shift change at night. And that way we knew that we could turn the radio back up and keep it moving. But this night... Three cars drove our direction instead of the normal right turn they took out of their parking structure. They made a left and came and pulled into our parking space. And I thought, oh, shit. Well, all three cops get out of their car. They come up to the apartment. There's a big guy here now. Officer Chops is there. There's this other cop. He's a chubby dude, big belly, bald head, pretty angry looking. And I thought, oh man chop sold me out bro so he comes in and he says uh what do you got and i said what What?" like everybody's looking at me like a crazy person right there was an unusually small amount of people at the apartment all the buddies a couple of girls but still a small amount of folks. And, and, you know, the people that didn't really live there or weren't commonly there kind of saw themselves out and they left. And what it turns out, these cops are there and they're there for cash. And, and I, I'm looking at everybody and everybody's looking at me and I, I produced what cash I had and I sat it down on the coffee table and I walked away and they either picked it up, or again, it dematerialized, and off they went. And and wouldn't you know it, and, and what drove me nuts is the joint we had just rolled was also mysteriously missing, too, which was pretty frustrating because, I don't know, I think at that time, I, I felt some type of way about it. We must have been almost out of weed or something, but the weed was gone, the money was gone, and the cops were gone. And where this should have been a telltale sign to pump the brakes that something's not going right that was not the case this was a green light to throttle all the way down you know i started this whole adventure once i started doing dope and and all i wanted to do was hey i'm gonna take care of my friends i'm gonna sell this stuff i know how to manage people i know how to manage situations I can be the man to my friends and I can protect them. And they'll look at me and love me because I'm the guy that's taking care of everybody and paying for the party and paying for rent and paying for clothes and, and that whole fun thing. All I wanted to do was take care of my friends. And in a very quick turn, we found ourselves in the middle of way more than 18 and 19 year olds should be prepared to handle. I had to come clean to the team, everybody that was in the apartment, you know, by this time, the hangers on the people that weren't part of the close knit group, just the people that were there to party had seen themselves out. And I had to come clean to the team about what had happened. And as you can imagine, the arrangement in my and Bub's living situation began to fall apart. I mean, we clearly had different goals. He wanted to better his future life and I was looking for the party for today. From that day, we all knew what we were in the middle of. We knew what we were capable of at that point. We knew that the sky was the limit and the group got bigger, the problems got bigger, the boldness got bigger and it definitely led down the wrong path. Stay tuned for the next episodes where the hijinks get out of control. I am Jason Farias, and this is my Madness Method.